So welcome to a special edition of the Erasing Shame podcast. And I realize that I often say special because every one of them is special to me. This one is being recorded live on YouTube live. And it is a special day because it is the release day of a brand new book by Pastor David Kim. It is yep, Made right to here. Belong. There you go. Made to Belong, five, five keys um, to building healthy community. I didn't get it precisely right. He, he will mention the title in just a moment. And we are thrilled to celebrate his release date, learn about his background in life and ministry and how uh, community, healthy community is such a vital part of our spiritual health as well as our mental health, which is what we talk about here at Erasing Shape. David, thank you so much for getting up early, joining me on your re book release date. Congratulations. Thank you. And it's an honor to be here, DJ. And thanks for having me. Yeah, really excited for this conversation. Now, one of the things I've noticed with Asian uh, American guests and speakers, they often start with the family background rather than their professional uh, resume background. So tell us about yourself. I believe you're married and you have some kids. I was born in South Korea, and uh, and we immigrated here to New York City when I was 10 years old. And so my father, he's a pastor. He's uh, pastoring in Queens, Flushing. Uh, and uh, we grew up there, and he came to actually uh, study at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And uh, we flew out for that, and uh, I also went to Gordon-Conwell as well, following the footsteps of my father, semi inspiration semi uh, recommended or semi forced would you say uh, however you want to name the asian experience but had a blast and um <clears throat> i think uh i came out to silicon valley california uh now 12 years ago uh came out here all by myself because i totaled uh three car three cars in a winter storm mm. in boston and um mm. I um, didn't want to be there anymore, <laughs> and uh, my insurance company didn't want me there anymore, and so I just moved out, um, didn't have any family or friends, uh, just chose a place exactly opposite of uh, Boston and uh, came out to San mm -hmm. Jose and met my wife here, and I have now two girls, and I am now pastoring here in Silicon Valley called uh, uh, the church is called Westgate Church. Well, fantastic! And you you are one of the unique um, in the unique position of being an Asian American pastor in a uh, predominantly white multi ethnic kind of a church. And so I'm sure there's stories there, and and yet that's also been the context in which you've done um, some compelling research that shaped and informed your book. And so uh, tell us about how uh, your role as a discipleship pastor, uh, what did you do as a pastor? And then what, when was the light, when did the light come on and say, Hey, maybe there's some research here. I really want to dig into. And uh, how did that become a book? Yeah. Well, writing for me, it's not something that um, I, necessarily thought I was good at or that I wanted to do. 
um, I didn't hear like the voice of the Lord when I moved out to San Jose, California. I just wanted good weather. And uh, mm-hmm. I wish as a pastor, I could say it was super spiritual. It wasn't. And um, But God has a, a really beautiful way of inviting you to journey into things that you're not comfortable in or that you're expecting. Oftentimes, when we try to create our own path through our own sheer power and effort and human wisdom, it never works out well. And so um, I mean, I, I came to the States when I was 10. And so, uh, English is not something that I'm comfortable in. It's not my first language. And so, uh, again, writing was just something that was not part of my journey. Um, so coming to a, an American church and multi-ethnic church, uh, Westgate church, it was a daunting experience because I grew up in the, in the Korean American church experience and, um, served, as a youth pastor in two Korean American churches, both in Boston and in San Jose. And so that's the only world that I was familiar with. And to make that shift was really a God moment for me. Uh, It took a lot of effort and courage on my end. I definitely took the role scared. (laughs) I would not say I took the role with some kind of super. No, I was just, uh, utterly afraid of um, how I would be received and uh, came to Westgate Church. And um, I shared actually a a Korean uh, uh, in one of the teachings, my own immigrant journey of coming to the Mm -hmm. States and learning the new language and culture as a child. It was a crazy experience. And then somehow by God's design, uh, that random teaching became viral. Again, you can't force viralness. Maybe you can a little bit, but it's just not what our church is into. And um, and uh, that got in the hands of a kids publisher. And I actually ended up writing a first book called A Kids Book About Change. And mm-hmm. um, uh, I've never done <laughs> children's ministry. Uh, it requires a different kinds of skill set. And anyone that's listening, if you're a children's ministry, God bless you. Um, mm-hmm. It's probably one of the hardest ministries. But I wrote a kid's book about change. Um, and um, and I wanted to share my immigrant experience of navigating change. I really mm-hmm. thought that there are many books out there for children but how many books are there really uh, navigating, helping navigate our children, our immigrant children, our Asian American or our mm-hmm. immigrant stories and navigating all the complexities around that? And so that's kind mm-hmm. of how I first began writing. And um, and I have the book here. It's called A Kid's Book About Change. And um, I wrote that during COVID. And it's a book that helps uh, parents. Um, and kids talk about difficult topics like moving, like change, like language, yeah. culture. And um, it's a fantastic and, book, very clear, very accessible to um, children, to adults alike, because adults don't deal with change very well either. And we've had to totally. face a lot of change. And it just so that happens, that book also kind of went viral. It got some recognition from somebody named Oprah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, as a Asian American pastor in Silicon Valley and Oprah, we don't really have anything in common. Uh, not much. Uh, and um, somehow uh, she had access to the book and she put it on our final issue. Every year she releases Oprah's favorite things. And for that 2020, during that COVID year, 
uh, she chose this book. I mean, everybody was navigating change. And so mm-hmm. uh, she chose this book and um, and was on her final issue of Oprah magazine. And uh, it became viral. And I'm really grateful. That's how I got into writing my uh, second book, and which is a uh, Christian book. Um, and it's more of my lane. And um, I'm really grateful for that opportunity. And this is with uh, Thomas Nelson, uh, HarperCollins. Fantastic. And so uh, we'll add a link in the show notes, uh, both to the book, um, a kid's book about change, as well as the viral video of your teaching at Westgate Church, as well as your teaching about this book. So uh, those that would like a more formal presentation about the five keys to healthy community and how we're made to belong. Um, you can watch that video, but uh, here we'll have a, a celebratory conversation about the genesis of the book and how how you came about to uh, gather this compelling research. That, that yeah. description in the book title really gripped me. And so there are so many books about church and small groups. And here you, here you come out with yet another book about community and the uh, Two of the three ingredients, uh, two of the five ingredients really caught my attention. Mm. Um, that of empathy and vulnerability. Mm. And I'm 56 now, so I've had my share of church life and small groups. And I'm not sure that I've gotten to the point I've experienced a lot of that in most of my groups. Mm. So how how did you um how did your research surface these five keys? And you actually present these five keys as a sequence. Yeah. Of how people deepen community. So talk us through that. Briefly. Yeah. So first of all, it's been my own journey. Um, mm. I faced a lot of loneliness. I I had no idea that coming to America, I thought, oh my gosh, America, land of all these opportunities and pizza, bagels, New York pizza, bagels, by the way, great. And um, I uh, was thrilled, but I realized that due to the language barrier and cultural barriers, that I had a hard time making friends. And so I grew up uh, really lonely and I was in a church, um, but I didn't know how to connect. And um, it's not something that as a teenager that you just walk around saying. So I ate um, at a cafeteria during lunchtime alone often. And uh, sometimes I would just like go to the bathroom and eat because I was so ashamed of just being alone. And that loneliness, um, uh, I had to cope. And so um, I used a lot of coping mechanisms to soothe my pain of loneliness. So I got into a lot of gaming and and gambling and pornography, you name it, just to, and I didn't know at that time, but I was just soothing my pain of loneliness. And um, those became my addictive patterns. And um and so long story short, uh, I came, I became a pastor uh, and I still realized that, oh my gosh, like I'm still lonely as a pastor. I'm leading a community and there are so many people around me. But um, if you are a pastor or if you're not a pastor, 
uh, just want to say like pastors are lonely too. And just because we're always meeting people doesn't mean that we're building meaningful connection and people see us. Our job is to actually uh, see others and, and allow them to be uh uh, seen, known, and loved. But often we desperately, as humans, we're no better or no different than other folks. And so we long for the same thing. But pastors don't know how to navigate their loneliness well. That's why I think they also too get into um, bad habits and patterns in their own journey uh, when they're alone, especially on Sunday nights and Monday mornings. Uh, I'm just being honest here and <laughs> trying to be as uh, clear as possible with our own journeys. And so, uh, and then uh, as I became a discipleship pastor in Silicon Valley, um, all the technologies and tools that are around us, by the way, they are great. I'm not here to bash on any of them, but, and they have been proven to be very helpful, but also at like any good tools, if it's used uh, for different purposes, it can be damaging to your soul. And so uh, in Silicon Valley, a lot of these folks who are, uh, I don't want to stereotype, but a lot of engineers, a lot of folks who work in the computer tech world, in the social media world, uh, they're having a hard time having um, real uh, conversations and, and connections. And I saw the social awkwardness uh, in them. And uh, they couldn't even make eye contact and they didn't know how to really um, share their hearts and lives. And especially, again, I'm not trying to generalize, uh, a lot of men struggle with being vulnerable and open. And so I realized that it's not just my own experience. It's not just the pastor's experience, but it's a human experience. And it's uh, a Christian experience as well. We say join a church and join a small group. But why are still Christians so lonely? So I did a survey with 1,300 folks, uh, Christians, uh, who say they belong in a small group and go to church, and they still say, I have a hard time feeling seen and known. So I realized, is our small group model working? And again, I'm not trying to bash any models here, but asking an honest question. That's how my book came about with my research. Yeah, and your honest inquiry uh, surface some profound insights that, uh, yes, we have some small groups going on and they're helpful to a degree, but it could be so much more Yeah, because we were made to belong and made yeah. to be seen and made to be uh, honest with others, which I think is what really uh, your book is revolutionary in tapping into that we can be vulnerable and show empathy. But before we get there, there's a couple steps. Yeah, so the, the premise of the book is that it's not that we're not lonely. I think COVID has revealed that we've been lonely all along and that we all are desiring and longing for connection. Uh, but the premise of the book is that we just don't know how. So the church pastors or church community leaders or any community leaders will say, you need to get into community. God desired, uh, God made us in community, for community, and they would make these calls that you are made to belong and you are welcomed here. But not many folks or not many teachers and small group leaders and pastors are teaching and modeling. So how do we actually belong? What are the some of the practical ways in which we can build meaningful connection and friendships and build deep community? And so I made my book to be uh, very practical and very practice-driven because I don't want to make the argument that you're lonely. You, you We all feel that. Uh, it's let, let me guide you into figuring out um, how to navigate your loneliness. And so 
uh, let me say one thing about the small group model and then I'll get into it. Generally speaking, the small group models are there as a multiplication uh, tool for the church. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I'm just going to name the elephant in the room. Um, what happens is that we build these small group models so that people can come in and as they forge meaningful friendships and belonging, once it gets big, you split the group and you, uh, you multiply into two, three groups and then you grow and you add more groups and it's a church planning and church growth strategy. Nothing wrong with church planning, church growth strategies. I'm not here to make fun of any movements here, but what is the point if I'm trying to build deep friendships with someone and then you split us up? I thought you've called me to be vulnerable and be open and to do life together. But now after I invest five, 10 years with this person, now you're telling me to break off that relationship and start my own community again. And um, I have found that to be uh, incomplete. Um, and so um, my invitation is that in order to build deep and meaningful community, there are five practices that we need to form that. And so the first one is priority, second, chemistry, third, vulnerability, fourth, empathy, fifth, accountability. And I'll start with the priority. Um, we are not in a uh, committal culture. <laughs> We have a lot of options, and so we will just kind of uh, uh, dip our toes here and there, but we won't really fully commit to a church or a community. And so the first thing is that we need to prioritize relationship as something that's really important in our journey. I recently read a book, uh, The Five Top Regrets of the Dying, and in that, a nurse who um who really spent a lot of time with folks who are kind of in the final nine months of their lives, they all repeated the kind of the same regrets. And, and two of the five were something along the lines of like, I wish I invested more time with my friends. Like I'm now all here by myself. And so I hear that and going, wow, like, are we prioritizing like the people that God has sent in our way? And, and if we don't, then deep communities cannot, Formed, then time alone isn't enough. Um, we can spend, you know this, we can spend a lot of time in our families, uh, Asian community at large. I can spend 10,000 hours with my father and uh, it doesn't mean that I have meaningful, deep conversations, right? And so intentional connection, priority is the first one. And then you, when you have priority as the first practice and you commit to one another, then the second movement is chemistry. And chemistry is uh, is a very interesting word because I've gotten some pushback on that. And they say, wait, I thought we're called to love all. Like, what are you talking about, David? Like, that's not very Christian. And um, I realized as I read the scriptures and did my research on this, Jesus had the 12, but he also had the three. And he was uh, unapologetic and about... Um, leaning into the three when he needed their support and help. And in the most crisis moments, he actually invited the three to really pray for him and care for him. And so would we say that Jesus was uh, sinning and showing favoritism to the three? No, I think he was able to love all and still recognize the three close friends that God has given in his life 
and his care. And I do think we can love our church community and build intimate relationships with folks who share similar visions and values. So again, priority, then chemistry. And then you get into vulnerability. And this is the tough piece. And this is the piece that I didn't know growing up. In the Asian American community particularly, and I would say also in the um, American culture at large, we're not really good at opening ourselves up. In the Asian American community, vulnerability is... is um, it comes with a lot of shame, erasing shame here. And um, and we cannot badmouth our parents and our culture and some of the patterns in which we may have been living because that might bring a lot of condemnation and shame into our own uh, families and communities. And so vulnerability is really hard for that piece. At the same time, in the American world, uh, vulnerability is seen as weakness, um, that we can make it on our, in our own strength and that we are uh, individualistic culture at large. And so I'm not going to ask for help. I don't need anyone. I can do this all alone. And so vulnerability is hard for both contexts. And, and if you are um, A male, especially, I mean, women have their own uh, journey uh, and difficulties of vulnerability, but for men particularly, it's hard because um, it comes with a lot of also um, caricatures of what uh, real men should be. And, and let's add pastor to that conversation. So think about that. Korean, mm -hmm. uh, uh, American, pastor, male. Christian. I have like five roadblocks in which I can be vulnerable. And so, mm -hmm. but I realized as I navigated through all of that, that is the invitation for me to be truly seen and known and loved. How can I be seen if I'm hiding all the time? And you know this, and I know this, and Christian listeners here, you guys all know this. The first thing that humans did in Genesis was to hide. They sin and they hide. And so vulnerability is really difficult. So Priority, chemistry, and then vulnerability. Now, here's the kicker. Once you get into vulnerability, if it's not met with empathy, then you are left laid bare. Like if I open up my life to you and you're like, that sounds cool. See you later. Or uh, uh, it's just there's a disconnect to that. But once I open up and 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 you respond with, man, like I, I see you, I hear you, man, that must be really difficult. How can I support you in that process? Like David, I remember um, uh, many years ago, our family, I know you shared a little bit of your own journey. Uh, our family got into a pretty bad car accident. And uh, we were in a vulnerable state. And I remember folks coming alongside us and saying like, David, like, how can we support you? How can we care for you in this season? Our lead, my lead pastor back then, Steve and Dana Clifford, they came and said, um, David, we'll care for your salary. Don't worry about it. We, we, we just want you and your families to be well. And that kind of empathy, my God, that, that's love. That's care. That's, that's what Christian life is all about. And so empathy really binds us together. And once you have that, you get into the final movement and final piece of belonging, which is accountability. And this also can, um, can get dangerous because I think we do accountability sometimes first. And that's what I would say abuse is. 
This is mm-hmm. what spiritual abuse looks like, friends. And um, before I am prioritizing my relationship with you, before we share chemistry, before we open up and and before I I empathize and connect with you. If I just say, you know what, like I see this in you and I don't like it, you should change. Or, you know what, like in the name of holiness, in the name of uh, um, the Bible or in the name of correction, like you need to change. But like, I just don't even care or don't even know your own story and journey. This is what a lot of Christian leaders do. And, um, Hmm. And I've done that sadly. And so I'm calling myself out here. And accountability that comes before all of this is spiritual abuse. But if we do all of that and then say, I see this in you, but because I have committed and proven myself to come alongside you throughout this process, would you grow and would you change into Christ-likeness? Because that's the very version that God made you to be. And I see that in you. And Christ sees that in you. And you were made for more. And I want to support you in your journey of forming into more Christ in your life. Man, isn't that the beautiful invitation of what real Christian community is like? And so I know I talked a lot, but I get excited. But these five movements, this is what I want to be, what our Westgate Church desires to be in all of our small groups and communities. And my prayer is that that no matter what church context you are in, you could use this. That is so beautiful. Thank you for uh, helping us shed new light on what accountability can be, not punitive, but supportive and caring. And we need to hear so much more of that because we've been on the wrong side of that word and equation. We need to redeem that. And I'm so glad that you um, reversed the progress of that that it begins with a commitment to the relationship and Mm -hmm. having uh, good chemistry, vulnerability that's closely followed or matched with empathy and then the support and accountability. So uh, you've put this uh, book together very practically Would this. So how would a church, I mean, you can share from how Westgate is using this book and how would a uh, small group leader or a small group ministry use this book? I mean, would this be a study that the group would go through themselves? Or is it more appropriate to use with the small group leaders to say, this is the framework by which we launch the next small group campaign? Yeah. I love that. So totally, I think, number one, all pastors and leaders, uh, pastors, not only of small group discipleship pastors, but pastors overall, we need to create communities that are safe, um, where people can come and and be known and loved and cared for and supported. And if we don't live that out in our own communities and in our own small groups, in our own journey, how can we create that in our own church communities? So number one, it's a resource for pastors and leaders. And again, as I read the book, it's mainly about like, how can I continue to grow in that for myself? And then number two, it's for, yeah, small group leaders and training. I think that's a great place to do. And lastly, uh, small group as a whole, like, because I know this, uh, I, I'm I'm serving in a, um, what you would typically call a large or mega church church. And so, and, um, and 
we know the machines of the megachurch world and all the curriculums that you have to do and go through. And so what this book is, is that it doesn't matter what denomination or church movements that you're part of. Um, this is more of creating a culture of real community and authenticity. And so anyone can go through that together and say, no matter what new curriculums you add, let's just be the kinds of people that we're committed to one another. We're sharing the same values, that we're vulnerable, that um, you've been in small groups where like, you know, like uh, they don't share that much and like it's shallow. Like I hate shallow conversations and it's like, God, ah, like, and so that let us be that and let us empathize instead of like, I've also been in small groups when somebody shares something and then the other person starts like teaching at them, right? Like, uh, like Jesus juking the moment. I, uh, I'm like, why can't you just be silent and, and, and empathize and then just see their story for what that is. And then accountability. And so I think any small group model, no matter what that may be, can use that. And that's how our church communities are beginning to use on our end. That's fantastic. Well, thank you for spending your, uh, starting your day on release day uh, of this brand new book. Thrilled to um, in, be in conversation with you. And you definitely have a teaching gift. So I can see how how well you've laid out the uh, five keys to healthy community. And I know you wrote a whole book on it. So you've probably been spending at least 18 months uh, thinking about how to sequence all of this and being clear in your communication. What else is uh, on your plate this day as you uh, go through release day? Um, yeah, I'm still a local church pastor. And so um, as I serve, um, hopefully, uh, the broader uh, church, um, I'm in meetings and uh, <laughs> got to get through uh, some of the things that are happening um, here at Westgate Church, which I'm so grateful for, and that uh, I am trying to live out the very things uh, that I'm talking about in my own community, which I think is really important, that it's not some theories and ideas, but it's a um, hopefully a lived out experience. And um the one thing that I would say is um, I know uh, you have a lot of Asian American listeners here. Um, I do think that um, one of the reasons that I, why I wrote this book is I do think we need a lot more Asian American voices to the broader Christian community. And we have much to offer. I'm not saying David Kim has much to offer. We as a collective community, our lived experiences, the way we forge communities and the things that we've learned as immigrants coming out here and 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 uh, we didn't have a community to begin with. We had to build it from mm -hmm. scratch. And so I actually think uh, even though there are many great community books out there, I'm not saying just like mine, um, our shared experiences can be a gift to the broader church. and. Um, mm -hmm. And, and that's one of my prayers and hope is that um, we have a seat at the table as well. And, um, and thank you for what, uh, doing what you do, elevating voices of the Asian American community and very grateful for that. I've been watching your work for a while and emotional and mental health. My wife's a therapist. And so um, this book has a very much a mental health uh, uh, edge and bent to it. Um, I also serve on the board of Mustard Seed Organization, which is a Korean American um, mm -hmm. uh, a real nonprofit to serve communities in, in mental health. And so I think there's much to be said. And so I'm grateful for the partnership and grateful to learn together and collectively uh, speak into uh, what God is doing in our midst. Well, thank you for that encouragement and uh, invitation. So, uh, 
give us one or two tips on how uh, what you had to learn or what you've learned uh, in becoming as as a Asian American serving in a dominant culture church, and then now as an Asian American getting a book published by a major publisher. I mean, those are uh, mm-hmm. really significant accomplishments, and there's brothers and sisters that are in our tribe that aspire to that, but just keep running into the, the metaphorical bamboo ceiling. Mm. Uh, how how did you get there? Yeah. Um, grace of God, yes. Grace of God, and um, <laughs> and my I think my prayer is that like, yeah, um, that I'm not just opening the door for myself, that hopefully through that I can partner and elevate other voices in our community. And so um, if that's something in your world, I would love to learn from you and connect. So, and that's how you and I connected as well. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, so through a lot of collaboration with other folks who are in that sphere, I think is really important to help one another. Uh, and, and number two is that one of the things that I didn't do well in the beginning is when I first came here, I had so much insecurity and fear. And by the way, I still do. Um, but I, uh, what, you know, what folks call, I code switched a lot. And so I tried to mm. take on a, a white voice and I tried to take on a voice that was not, wasn't me. And I try to do that for survival. As many of, you know, uh, try to be, uh, try to be loved and, and well-rounded. And I remember one of the first sermons I taught, at Westgate. And I try to be like my lead pastor at that time. And, um, Steve, and he's, he's, he's from Texas, uh, uh, white and, and he has a strong Texan accent and and we love him so much. So, but I try to be that. And, and I remember him just coming down and said, um, David, um, I hired you to be you, not to be me. And I remember mm-hmm. that seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, and that began the journey of like, oh my gosh, like my I can have my own voice and and that God has uniquely wired me. And there are also a lot of things I can learn from this community. And so yeah. it's not that you throw out everything, but I was able to learn the things that's really good in the American community. And also begin to be confident in the stories and the things that God has equipped me and to share that as a gift to this community. And so I, while Made to Belong is written for the American church, I, I asked my publisher to make sure that my Korean American, my Asian American voice and the experience is made clear and they honor that. And so um, I, I was able to uh, hopefully, as you read the book, uh, uh, navigate the both, uh, navigate both worlds. Uh, well, I hope I did that. Uh, I'm not sure only <laughs> listeners and readers will, will be able to let me know that. But, um, but those are some of the things that come to my mind. Well, thank you, David. And I'll, I'll weigh in and say the book, uh, very much did that very well because you, uh, head on tackled a, Pressing subject in our world today, loneliness. And I was just in a conversation last week with someone uh, who's going to speak at the World Health Organization. And they are addressing this as a global crisis of loneliness. And then uh, we there's language around mental health being a crisis on a global level, not just in the U.S., with anti-Asian hate, as well as 
the uh, post-pandemic matters into social isolation, uh, partly from technology and just um, being in a very individualistic world. And we don't have a solution. And so to have a book like yours and to have some hands-on things that people can do can make all such a big difference. And then when it comes mm -hmm. to mental health, um, as we talk about encouraging Christian Asian mental health here, the director, the national director of Ment uh, National Institute of Mental Health, uh, Thomas Insel, recently released a book titled Healing. And he uh, he's had breadth and depth of experience in psychology and psychiatry. And his conclusion was, uh, that medicine and therapy are helpful, but what the person that's struggling with mental health really needs is people, place, and purpose. So good. People, place, and purpose. And that's exactly what community is all about. So you've really hit the zeitgeist, and I pray and cheer you on as this book gets into the hands of so many more people, and it would bring belonging and healing to many here in the U.S. and around the world. So thank you, David, for putting the extra effort in writing a very important book, very valuable, and I pray God would really spread the uh, good news far and wide. Yeah. Thank you so much for your kind words. Yeah, yeah, that's my wife. She would say, um, as she's meeting with her client, um, one of the first things she asks is, do you have community? Right. Mm. So much of our mental health, emotional health. Um, yeah. Our, whether we have community or not, uh, safe people who know us, see us and can come alongside um, that that can be a game changer. And just because you go to church on a Sunday morning and sit with 50, 100,000, 10,000 people doesn't mean you have community just because you're in a small group even doesn't mean you have community who really knows you and can do these five practices with you i think that's what matters and even in asian communities i know there's more of that tight-knit feel but just because you have shared experiences though as good as that is doesn't mean that you also have community and so the invitation is to go deeper and that is my prayer for my community and uh, and everywhere else. Thank you so much, David. And thank you for watching and listening to this episode of Erasing Shame. Connect with us and get the show notes at erasingshame.com. Um, until next week, we'll see you again. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Erasing Shame podcast. Check out the show notes at erasingshame.com and subscribe to our email for updates. We would love to hear from you, so please add your comments at our website or on social. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any podcast app, and you can also subscribe on YouTube or follow on Facebook. Please add a rating and review so we can reach more people with our message of health, hope, and compassion. This podcast is the digital outreach of Christian Asian Mental Health.